So we've been telling you about Walter's Brunch the last few days, but did you know that Walter's also is open for lunch? Monday through Friday, Walter's opens at noon for lunch, midday baseball watching, and even the occasional European soccer match. So if you find yourself around the ballpark during the day, make sure you walk on over to Walter's. Check out Walter's famous self-pour beer wall, including many local drafts. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the pitch. Soto swings and drills it at deep center field. Back goes already. Way back. Not going to get this one. Going, going, and gone. Goodbye. Bang, zoom. A two-run homer for Soto. This is his second in as many days. It's the Nationals three and the Braves one. Trying to come through here with two out, nobody on top of the eighth. Score tied at three. The left-hander kicks and delivers. And a swing and a high fly ball to deep left center field. Back goes already at the warning track. At the wall. It is gone. Goodbye. Bang. Zoom goes Jan Gomes with a big home run with two out of the top of the eighth inning. His fifth of the year. Just to the left of the batter's eye in dead center field. And the Nationals are back in front here at the top of the eighth inning. It's Washington 4 and Atlanta 3. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, June 3rd, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. I do believe we have a winning streak for the Nationals. Back-to-back wins, and all of a sudden, the Nats have a shot at taking three or four games at the Atlanta Braves. My, oh my, how things can change. Off the 11-6 win on Tuesday night, a really nice 5-3 victory at the Braves on Wednesday night. It was another lengthy game. It was another taxing game. It was another grinded-out affair between these two teams, but the Nats get some big hits. The Nats get, I thought, like a borderline heroic performance from John Lester. The Nats come through with a run in each of the final two innings. And Mark, we got some positive vibes with the ball club. You know what the difference is, Al? What happened to this team that hadn't happened before? They got through game 50. There you go. That's all they got to do. They got to get through game 50. You ready for the stats? This is this is crazy. And I say this like as a joke, but there's like maybe something to it. Okay. Obviously, in 2019, we know what happened. 19 and 31. And then after that, 74 and 38. But last year in the 60 game season, they start 19 and 31 and they finished seven and three. It was a little too late for anything to happen because it was a short season. Well, now this year they start 21 and 29. And since then, since they get to game 51, two and oh. So you put it all together. And over the last three years in games one through 50, the Nationals have a 393 winning percentage. 
And once they get to game 51 and beyond, it's 669. I think we have found the solution to their woes. Hey, the math works for me, man. Okay, we'll take it and run with that. The Nationals certainly will. 23 and 29 now on the year. And if the Nats can pull this off on Thursday afternoon, and, you know, it's not going to be easy. We'll see what happens with Patrick Corbin. Braves are starting a guy who's making, though, just his third career major league start. I mean, how about that? You go from this five-game losing streak that felt like a 15-game losing streak to potentially winning three of four at the Braves. You talk about changing the conversation. Winning three of four at the Braves, I think, does that in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, 100%. Now, let's not get ahead of ourselves. And, and, and we have been fooled by this team already a few times this year. But I like the way that they're going about this. They're hitting. They're scoring in multiple innings. Juan Soto looks like Juan Soto again. What a difference that makes, huh? And you used the word, uh, I think, before, like gutsy. I mean, th- this was a gutsy win in this game, what they got from John Lester, but also what they got from Tanner Rainey, Daniel Hudson, and Brad Hannon. I know it wasn't perfectly clean, but those guys who've been pitching a lot had to kind of dig deep and come through in a few spots there, and it worked out in the end. And I don't know what they have left, if they're going to be available on Thursday, but they kind of pulled out all the stops to win this game, and good for them for pulling it off. This felt like a 2019 kind of victory for them. Yeah, it did in a lot of ways. By the way, I nominate that Daniel Hudson now replaces Wander Suero for the Suero meter. We have to call it the Hudson meter or something because it's Hudson who's pitching in every game and certainly warming up in every game. And there's sort of some symbolism because every time Suero pitches, Hudson's warming up. But anyway, we can uh, figure that out at a later time. So you mentioned Juan Soto. I don't know that his home run was the biggest hit of the game. There were a bunch of big hits, but it's certainly the one that sticks with you because it is starting to feel like Juan Soto is back. So he busts out with the huge game in the victory on Tuesday night. Three for four with a homer, two singles, a walk, four RBI, four runs. And then on Wednesday night, one for three with a two-run homer and a walk. Soto smashing a one-out, two-run shot to center field in the top of the fifth on an 0-2 pitch from Braves lefty starter Drew Smiley. The homer per stat cast traveling a projected 437 feet. He had a one-out, five-pitch walk in the top of the third as well. The elevation has been there these last two games. The launch angle has been there these last two games. You know, it's so interesting with Soto's body language. I've talked about how he's been wearing his struggles. Seeing him round the bases on Wednesday night, you started to see a more jubilant Soto. You know, that Soto swagger is returning. Now, we're still not seeing the crotch grabbing. We got to get to that point. But Mark, I don't know if we say that Soto's been fixed, but he is certainly trending in the right direction. The crotch grabbing will come once he, uh, you know, maybe hits one out to right field instead of left center field. How about that? Yeah, no, I mean, he looks like Juan Soto the last two nights, and we've been waiting for that. Even the out that he made in the first inning was he drove it to the warning track. It was almost the exact same spot where he hit the home run, just a, a few feet short. And I look back on Tuesday night and remember how he seemed like he was really pleased with the opposite field single that got it all started, and he felt like something felt different on that one, and he found his timing on that, and he's carried over into his at-bat since then. And yeah, there is some Soto swagger back and hitting off lefties, hitting with two strikes. These are all really important, and you're right. Maybe that home run wasn't the single key to this particular victory, but in the bigger picture, it is absolutely key to this team's chances of coming back and making something out of the season that started off so frustratingly bad. 
Yeah, and like you said, the homers have come off lefties. Lefty starter Drew Smiley on Wednesday night, the Braves lefty reliever Grant Dayton on Tuesday night. But there were other big hits in this win for the Nats on Wednesday night. Jan Gomes was elevated to number five batter status for Wednesday night's game. He has a very good history against the Braves starter for the game, Drew Smiley. And Gomes made Davey look rather smart. It wasn't so much that Gomes uh, tattooed Smiley, but Gomes ended up playing a big role in this win. Two for four with a huge homer and a single. He had a one-out single in the Nationals' one-run second, and he had a two-out tie-breaking solo homer in the top of the eighth for a 4-3 Nationals lead. How often this season have we said to ourselves, when the Nats, you know, they're not hitting homers, and boy, in some of these tight games and these big spots, if they could just get a homer, you know, you could breathe a sigh of relief. You could feel like, okay, like the Nats, they are mounting the charge and are going to be able to come through with the win. They got the big home run in the game on Wednesday night. Jan Gomes delivering, and he delivered defensively, gunning down Ronald Acuna Jr. on an attempted steal of second base for the first out in the bottom of the first of an Acuna leadoff four-pitch walk. I tell you, man, I don't know how this has happened, but it's happened. Jan Gomes has become lights out. He's become Pudge Rodriguez this season when it comes to throwing base runners out on the base pass. 11 to 26 now on runners trying to steal this season. A really good night for Jan Gomes. So he said he really worked hard with Henry Blanco, who's their bullpen coach, but as a former big league catcher for a long, long time, he works with the catchers as well. They worked on footwork. They worked on their quick release. And I think Jan feels like he is throwing the ball as well as he has in quite some time. And remember how John Lester was the guy you always could run on in the past? Yeah. 44 steals off him in 2015 with the Cubs. That's not the case anymore. So I want to give him some credit too. When the team was so bad at throwing out runners the last few years, we said, yeah, it's on Suzuki and Gomes, but it was also on the pitching staff for letting runners get big jumps. And they're doing a much better job this year of preventing that. And John Lester in particular has really worked at that part of his game. He doesn't throw pickoffs because we know he's got, you know, I don't know if the yips is the right word for it, but he, he is very reluctant to even attempt to throw, but he has adjusted his timing. He's been able to get rid of the ball quickly, delivering to the plate, and it gives the catchers the best chance. So I think that is equally important how this is all working out. And as far as Gomes at the plate, the key to that home run was it came right after this like deflating moment of them blowing the lead in the bottom of the seventh. And then a couple batters later, home run, they retake the lead. Now Hudson can come back out for the eighth with them ahead and almost like a second chance for him. That was a very emotionally uplifting home run, something we've not said a lot about the Nationals this season. It's been hard enough to hit home runs at any point, let alone in big moments where it does kind of flip the script of a game. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing about momentum can be dubious, but you talk about like the momentum shifting, you know, the game gets tied. That was momentum in favor of the Braves. And then Jan Gomes, like a battleship of momentum, turning everything around with that home run in the top of the eighth inning on Wednesday night. And also want to give credit to Trey Turner. A couple of big hits for him in the win on Wednesday night. Two for five, double, big RBI single, and a stolen base. He had a first pitch leadoff double in that Nationals two-run fifth inning, and he had a two-out RBI single on a one-two pitch in the top of the ninth for a 5-3 Nats lead. And then he had a stolen base in that inning. But another spot. First of all, he's down in the count one-two. He's able to come through with two outs, give the Nats a key tack-on run. You know, Brad Hand was going to be pitching in the bottom of the ninth inning. You're not sure what to expect uh, in a spot like that. But Trey Turner delivered a big hit in the game. That was a huge insurance run because it gave him the two-run lead. And like you said, with Brad Hand in the ninth, if it's a one-run lead, he's facing Acuna where one swing can tie the game. 
And instead, he got to that point and he knew he could go after Acuna, who was just now trying to get on base and set up Freddie Freeman, who the game never got to. So, yeah, that was huge. And the other thing that helped make that insurance run possible was Victor Robles first getting hit by a pitch. And I think that is his official return now from the IL. He's getting hit by pitches again. He's back. But then he stole second. And that put himself in position, a smart stolen base by Victor Robles at the right moment. We've killed him at times for getting thrown out in situations where it wasn't worth the risk. This one absolutely was. And for the first time, maybe the whole second leadoff hitter batting ninth in front of Trey Turner, it it worked. I'm not going to say this is the right strategy in the big picture, but in this one particular instance, it was two outs, nobody on. It worked. Robles got on base. He got himself in the scoring position, and Trey Turner drove him in. Boy, don't say that too loudly. I hope Davey's not listening to you when you say that. Because also in the game on Wednesday night, you had in the Nationals one-run second, which should have been so much more than a one-run second. Another one of these innings that was set up for like three, four runs. You only score one. John Lester, as the number eight batter, comes up, issues a first-pitch bunt force out. You have runners at the corners, one out, and the pitcher is up to bat. And so he ends up bunting, and he bunts into a force out. Victor Robles did strike out on five pitches after that, but that's not the point. That, to me, is criminal, that the pitcher, Lester, comes up in that. Now, Lester did have a hit later in the game, but of course, that's not the point. But yes, uh, it did work out, I guess you can say, in that ninth inning. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. I'm so excited that we have baseball. There's nothing like watching a game with great weather, a cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you've never bet on baseball before, now's actually the perfect time to give that a shot because FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free. You'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same-game parlay bet Falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. Games on Thursday night include the Detroit Tigers at the Chicago White Sox at 8-10. Lance Lynn starting for Chicago. He has a 120 ERA on the season. Facing the lowly Tigers, the White Sox certainly feel like the play. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds in all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions that let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code chat to get in on the action. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 109 with it, Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 100-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But here it's in the seventh inning. Now something's Uh-oh. going on. Schwarber's hurting out there. After the dive, he is hobbling. And he's walking in toward the, the trainer, Paul Lassard, and toward Davey Martinez. And that means he's walking toward the dugout. A few other things I want to get into here with the offense, and then we'll get to Lester's pitching performance. So, unfortunately, with the Nationals, you, you can never just have an entirely good night. Injury has to happen or something bad has to happen. Steven Strasburg gets hurt in the victory on Tuesday night. And Kyle Schwarber got hurt in this win on Wednesday night. Ends up having to leave the game. Gets hurt trying to make a diving catch on the Abraham Almonte pinch leadoff double in the bottom of the seventh inning. What, if anything, do we know about Schwarber's status? So what Davey said afterwards is that he described it as his right knee locked up on him. That's never a good thing to hear. And you could see as he was walking off the field, he was pretty ginger and limping as he walked off. Now, he was already getting treatment on it. He was walking around better after the game, according to Davey. Boy, this is one of those times where it'd be nice if we were back in the clubhouse again, where you could actually see with your own eyes what somebody looked like afterwards. Hasn't happened yet. Hopefully someday soon. So, you know, they'll see how he is in the morning. It's a quick turnaround to Thursday's game at 1220. So I would not be shocked, especially with a lefty on the mound for the Braves, if maybe they try to give him the day off. But, you know, sounds like maybe not too big a deal. But, as you know, as always with these things, you never really know until a day or two later to see if there's any uh, lingering issue with it. So I just want to be clear. You said right knee, right? Not the left knee, because the left knee is the one he tore the ACL and LCL in in 2016. Davey said it was the right knee. He was thinking about it as he was asked the question, trying to remember based on what he'd seen. So don't 100% quote me on that. But he said the right knee, and hopefully, God, I didn't even think about the fact that he had that brutal injury several years ago. Hopefully, this is not in any way related to that. Yeah, because uh, when you say knee locked up, you're like, well, uh, if you're coming off a, a knee that was ravaged as that knee was years ago, that might make some sense. But if it's the different knee, then you don't have to worry about that. That is the thing about Schwarber. What he did in 2016 can never be forgotten. He tears the left ACL and LCL in April of 16, ends up returning to play for the Cubs in that year's World Series, and is productive in that World Series. He went 7-17 with a double, three walks, and a stolen base in that World Series. So never question the toughness of Kyle Schwarber. That, that's an all-time thing that he did in 2016. All right, one other thing with the offense. Why did Ryan Zimmerman not start on Wednesday night? This was a lefty starter. Zim is hitting out of his mind. Uh, what was the deal with that? So, uh, yeah, I was surprised. A lot of people were surprised. They did not put out a lineup until about 6 o'clock for a game that started at 7.20. And part of that was they were waiting to make the Strasburg IL move which didn't happen until about 5.30. But even after they announced that, it was like another good half hour before the lineup was posted. And when Zim wasn't in it, I kind of thought, seems a little strange. He just had a great night. They're facing a lefty again. So I asked Davey after the game, anything going on there? And he said that, yeah, Zim had actually told him that he was a little sore. He didn't specify where or what that was. But after playing the full game on Tuesday, he was a little sore. And so they decided, we're not going to put you in the lineup. Maybe that was a late decision. I don't know. For sure, but maybe that was something that affected, you know, why that lineup didn't come out until a little over an hour before game time. 
So there's another lefty again <laughs> going on Thursday. So maybe if he's feeling well, he'll be back in there and it'll all work out in the end. But it is a reminder, like we've been saying all along, just because he's really productive does not mean he should be playing every day. They do have to monitor him. Knowing the history there, they're going to be extra careful with him to make sure that he's healthy for the full season. And at least for the first time that we're aware of this year, there was something physical that was maybe making him think he shouldn't try to play back-to-back games. Yeah, and that's obviously a justifiable reason for Davey going with Josh Bell and not Ryan Zimmerman. Hey everyone, Tim Shovers here to tell you again about Sunday Scaries CBD Gummies. Sunday Scaries is here to hook up our listeners for your first order. Go to sundayscaries.com and type in NatsChat. That's one word in the promo code to get 25% off your first order. Again, it's sundayscaries.com. When you enter the promo code at checkout, type in NatsChat to receive 25% off your first order. They have plenty of options, including oils, bath bombs, and gummies. I've been using the gummies. It helps me sleep as I sign up for the night at rather unusual hours. Right now, I'm taking the vegan AF gummies. It's actually the only vegan thing I consume. And Sunday Scaries appeals to a wide range of people, including young professionals, moms, college students, entrepreneurs, and more. To recap, sundayscaries.com, promo code NATSCHAT to save 25% off your first order. That snaps the streak of 11 straight retired, and it appears it's going to end his night. But that's a nice performance for Lester on three days rest to pitch into the sixth inning with the Nationals in front. Davey hasn't made the signal yet. So does he give Lester the chance to talk his way to stay in the game? Davey's doing a lot of talking and now takes the baseball and points to the bullpen. So Davey wanted to deliver a message before he took the ball. And Yeah, I'm sure it was, you know, in a big spot with a short staff. You did, you did a, a yeoman's job for us tonight. All right, John Lester. What a job by Lester on Wednesday night. Starting on three days rest for just the fourth time in his major league career He ends up doing, I think, far more than you could have ever reasonably hoped for. Like, considering the circumstance, considering the context of this, this is really one of the more impressive starts we've had this season by a national starting pitcher. Uh, Lester ends up going five and two-thirds innings, one run in five and two-thirds innings. I mean, we would have taken that on five days rest from John Lester. You get that here on three days rest from the guy. Three strikeouts versus five hits, home run and four singles. Issued two walks through 87 pitches. Andy had a hit in the game, like I mentioned earlier. One out single in the top of the fourth, despite having been down to the count at one point, one two. Now, this was a typical Lester outing, at least initially, and in that he was putting a bunch of guys on base. But it also was a typical Lester outing, and that he was minimizing the damage. And then Lester was cruising. He ends up retiring 12 of the last 13 batters he faces. He strikes out Ronald Acuna Jr. and Freddie Freeman in succession in a perfect bottom of the fifth. And the strikeout of Acuna came despite Lester throwing three consecutive balls to begin that plate appearance. So Acuna was up in the count 3-0 and Lester still ended up striking out Acuna. What a job by John Lester on Wednesday night. So if you remember when they signed him and we talked all spring about why they signed him and what the idea was and, you know, hey, he's not the same John Lester from the past from the Red Sox and early Cubs days where he's going to lead your staff. One of the big things they liked about him is they felt like he was the guy who comes through for you in a big game. And I know it's, you know, June 2nd, maybe it's not classically what you think of as a big game, but they needed somebody to pitch on short rest. They're facing a division rival, trying to get themselves on a winning track finally. I think this qualifies as like, this is why they got John Lester to pitch games like this. 
And yeah, it wasn't always pretty, and maybe he has to grind it out at times, but he figured it out. He said he had to make some adjustments along the way. He started throwing his change up and his curveball a little bit more, but it worked. And I mean, to get into just to get into the sixth inning under those circumstances was phenomenal. I'm thinking to myself going into it, he's probably good for four or five, and that's it. But he also said he thought it was important going into this as they were discussing whether or not to take the risk with it to pitch on short rest. He wanted to make sure that if he was going to do it, that he had no restrictions, that it wasn't like, okay, just give us X number of innings or X number of pitches. He wanted to be able to go as far as it looked like he could go until the manager just decided, okay, he looks like he's had enough. And that's exactly what happened in this game. That was a gutsy performance from him. And we talked the other day, I looked back at when he has pitched on short rest in his career. It had happened three previous times as a starter. And in those three previous starts, he had averaged five and a third innings, basically, and 92 pitches. Well, he wound up going five and two thirds innings and threw 87 pitches. This is exactly what he's done in the past in this spot. So credit to him. That was huge. I know we don't care about pitchers wins on this podcast, and I'm with you on that one. But I kind of felt like he deserved the win for this one. And he didn't get it because they blew the lead. But he, did, he doesn't have a win yet for the Nats. And, and he, is, he at least has earned one off of this start. That's why we do not judge pitchers by wins because they can be so misleading. But I, man, I tell you, with Lester, you never question the guy's moxie or toughness because he's got, I mean, he's one of the great postseason pitchers of his generation. He's won three World Series titles. He was the MVP of the Cubs 2016 NLCS victory. His career playoff numbers, 154 innings, 251 ERA. Like he understands the big spot, the big moment, and he definitely delivered on Wednesday night. I mean, again, I don't think it's being overly dramatic to say one of the best, most impressive performances by a national starting pitcher so far this year. And I know that's maybe not saying everything because the Nats rotation hasn't been lights out, but considering the circumstances, considering the opposition for Lester to do as he did, very impressive. Not something I think the Nats fan will be forgetting anytime soon. And then with the Nats bullpen on Wednesday night, uh, you end up using three relievers. It's an all-out assault here. I mean, it was the A-team, Tanner Rainey to Daniel Hudson to Brad Hand. It wasn't always pretty because these days it's not pretty with this Nats bullpen. The bullpen's giving up runs, but the bullpen, again, is being leaned on so much. Tanner Rainey ends up having a very mixed outing. Daniel Hudson comes in, allows two inherited runners to score. Brad Hand does toss a perfect bottom of the ninth. I tell you, Mark, I'm getting a little concerned here with this Hudson thing. He's being used a ton. His effectiveness is starting to lessen, okay? The box score line does not tell the story of Hudson's game on Wednesday night. He did have some strikeouts in the game, and he did toss. He did bounce back in the bottom of the eighth. That is true. He struck out Dansby Swanson and Guillermo Heredia. But at some point, there needs to be another way of doing this. The Nats can't keep leaning on Hudson the way they are. But to these guys' credit, they do enough. They come through enough to where the Nats are able to author the win. But the game got tied with Rainey and Hudson giving up those two runs, and it was shaky for a while with the bullpen. Yeah, like we've said a couple of times, it feels like Hudson is kind of getting doolittled here. Yeah. <laughs> this is what happened to Sean a couple of years ago when he was the only reliable reliever and the team had gotten off to the bad start and now they've got to try to win every possible game they can. And so Davey's going to go to his one reliable reliever. And that's what you're seeing. Now, you know, on the one hand, you like that Davey is saying, hey, you're our fireman. You're the guy who needs to get the biggest outs and I don't care what inning it is. And so I'm going to bring you in in the seventh inning. It didn't work out. He gave up the double, but then bounced back from that to strike out three of the four batters he faced. So yeah, I am concerned about him physically, that this is going to wear him down if it hasn't already. And eventually there's going to have to come a day where he's going to have to speak up 
Because if, da- if if he tells Davey, I'm going to go, Davey's going to use him. So at some point, he's going to have to say, sorry, I can't go today. And that may, it probably will be on Thursday if the situation arises. Probably him and Hand, to be honest, may not be available for that game. So yeah, they need to speak up a little bit more and they probably need to start reducing their workload. But that also means that they're going to have to start relying on some other guys to get big outs late in games. Now, that was supposed to be Will Harris, who, of course, is now probably done for the year with his thoracic outlet syndrome. And it was supposed to be Tanner Rainey, who, again, does not look right, and the fastball is very hittable. Now, like you said, it was a weird outing. He came in to replace Lester and got a huge strikeout to get out of the sixth, and he wound up getting a huge strikeout of Acuna in the seventh. His slider is really playing right now. The problem is his fastball. And you got to have at least some semblance of control with your fastball to get to the slider. And that's why he wound up leaving the game, because he walked Freeman. And so now uh, Davey felt like he had to make the move. But that did sort of feel like an improvement for Rainey up until that last batter. So maybe there's some signs there. But somebody else is going to have to be able to step up. Suero, Finnegan, Rainey, Voth, Paolo Espino. Somebody's got to jump in there and take the pressure off so that he doesn't feel like he has to go to Hudson Every time there's a big spot late in the game, he's going to wear down. He's not going to make it through the season at this rate. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think Hudson may be wearing down already. Uh, that Walker Freeman, by the way, loomed large by Rainey. Two outs. Rainey has Freeman down one, two. Can't put him away. Ends up walking him. And uh, that contributed to what ended up happening with Rainey. And then, you know, Hudson comes into the game. And Hudson, on the second pitch he throws, gives up a two out, two run double to Ozzie Albies that ties the game at three. Although Hudson did then bounce back from that. Like I do want to, it's not like Hudson got, you know, tattooed all over the ballpark, but he comes into the game and second pitch, he gives up one of the bigger hits in the game, the two out, two run double by Ozzie Albies. But the Nationals get the win. They have an opportunity to take three or four in this series, but the pressure now rests on the shoulders of Patrick Corbin. Game four, Thursday afternoon at 1220. Patrick Corbin going to be facing off with Tucker Davidson, who will be making just his third career Major League start. For Corbin, I mean, you know, you kind of throw your hands up at this point. Who knows what to expect with Patrick Corbin? At times, he's been good. Many more times, he has not been good this season. His last two outings have not been good. He's coming off what he did in the 4-1 seven-inning loss to the Milwaukee Braves at Nationals Park on May 29th, game one of a doubleheader. So last Saturday afternoon, gave up four runs in five innings in the game through just 47 strikes versus 31 balls. His outing prior to that one, that 6-5 win over the Orioles at Nats Park, May 23rd. Four runs, five and two-thirds innings on 11 hits and two walks in that game. He didn't have a single clean inning in that game. So we'll see. I mean, if you told me that Patrick Corbin gives up six runs in two innings tomorrow, I would believe you. On the flip side, though, if you told me Patrick Corbin goes out there and allows one run in six innings, I would believe that. I, I've kind of given up on what to expect from Patrick Corbin at this point this year. I think we're going to know early on with him. I think that we, we can kind of tell that either he's got the command or he doesn't, and either he's missing bats or he isn't. He can only be successful when he misses bats. Because unlike Lester, who gets weak contact and can get out of jams that way, that's just not the Corbin MO. It's got to be missing bats with the slider and then hopefully getting ahead in the count with the fastball. So this is a tough lineup he's going to be facing. I'm assuming a warm afternoon in Atlanta where the ball may fly. This is a tough assignment for him. Probably not the guy you really want in this spot, given how he's been performing and all the other conditions, everything else. And on a day when you're going to need innings from him, because like we were saying, the bullpen has had to do a lot the last few days. So I don't know. They're going to have to score some runs to win the game. I think, I don't think this is a low scoring uh, 
try to you know, win a two to one game, anything like that. Corbin's got to throw his fastball for strikes, get them to swing and miss the slider, give him some innings, and then hope that the offense can score some runs off the Braves pitching staff. It's a shame that you just said what you said, that Corbin's probably not the guy you want in this spot. He's here to pitch in these spots. Six years, $140 million. Steven Strasburg is on the injured list. Like This is supposed to be where you lean on someone like a Patrick Corbin. And instead, look at how we're talking here. Listen to how we're speaking here. It's like, I don't know. You know, we're kind of, we don't know what to expect from the guy. Like, no, six for 140 is supposed to buy you some certainty. There's anything but certainty right now with Patrick Corbin. Well, I mentioned Steven Strasburg, so he is officially back on the 10-day injured list, and that's making the roster move pretty late in the day on Wednesday, as Mark was saying. The official labeling of the injury, I don't know if this matters, is neck strain. Strasburg's initial 10-day IL stint this season was due to right shoulder inflammation. Davey, after Strasburg's abbreviated outing on Tuesday night, talked about Strasburg dealing with right trapezius tightness, and then he goes on the IL with a neck strain. Does the labeling matter? Is this still a mystery, do you think? They're still trying to figure out exactly what's happening here. Well, and then after the game, they finally had the MRI results to share with us, and David called it nerve irritation in his neck. Oh, good. So we got the whole smorgasbord of stuff. And I think here's what we can say. Clearly, something's going on in his neck, and whatever the official diagnosis of it is, this is what's causing everything else with his neck, with his shoulder, with his upper back, with his trapezius. You name it, he's got it going on. Now, He had a similar thing in 2018, and he missed some some real time with it. I suppose that could be either reassuring or concerning that the same thing has cropped up again. But the good news, I suppose, is they're not talking about any kind of real structural damage here. This isn't the rotator cuff, the labrum, you know, those like really concerning shoulder injuries that require surgery. It's treatment and it's rest, and then they'll try to get him back out there. I just feel like, like we talked the other night, I think it's a mistake on their part if they try to just put him back out there anytime soon. Let him figure out what is really going on. Let him have some full rehab. Let him actually make some minor league starts and build his arm back up and see if he can get the velocity going again. I just don't think they should be in their minds thinking, oh yeah, well, we'll get him back in a couple of weeks or in a month or anything like that. Let this play out and hope that the rest of them can get the job done without him because it's not helping the team to put him out there. And every time he takes the mound, you're clenched up, nervous, How's he going to look in the first inning? And then he can't get out of the first inning or the second inning and you're burning up your bullpen again. So I I don't think that benefits anybody. I think they need to take the long and slow plan here and hope that Corbin is all right and hope that Lester can keep doing this and that Ross and Fetty have more good starts than bad starts. And ultimately that gets them through the summer until maybe Strasburg is ready to pitch again. He's not back before the all-star break, is he? It doesn't feel like he is to me. Uh, You wouldn't think so because the way these things work with pitchers, either he's back like in two weeks, you know, where like he just doesn't, he's not shut down very long. He's able to start throwing right away and therefore he doesn't need to build himself back up. Or if you get past about that two week mark, now you got to start all over again with the throwing program, the simulated games, rehab games. And I think that's the right move for them in this case. Like I said, I don't think it's worth it. Even if there's no real firm diagnosis of a major injury. I mean, look, we've seen him enough now this year to know that he's just not right and just a little bit of treatment and rest is not going to change that. There needs to be an overhaul of some things here, maybe mechanically, some real treatment and rest on it. Give him time and just hope that we see him some point later in the summer and that he is a competent pitcher for them at that point. Well, in the meantime, the Nats can keep playing the board game operation for those of you who remember that. And we'll just, you know, kind of keep going along here. Is it the trap? 
Is it the neck? Is it a nerve situation? Shoulder? Who knows? We'll figure it out at some point. You know, we'll get around to it. Uh, you tell us what you think. Hey, Nationals have won back-to-back games. Chance to take three or four at the Braves. You can reach us on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. In fact, you can proudly wear your Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt now. You don't have to put a paper bag over your head with the Nationals in the midst of a winning streak, albeit a modest one at two games. But to get your Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt, visit the following site, natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on the Nats Chat Podcast are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Here's the pitch to Turner. Ground ball toward the middle, and it sneaks through into center field. Rounding third is Robles. He'll come in to score, and the Nationals have a two-run lead, 5-3. to three. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.